Welcome back to Kava the Podcast. I'm Kelly Archibald, and I want to thank you for tuning in. We live in a crazy world, so we made this podcast to shine some hope into your life. Our guests have lived through some incredible things, both good and bad, and they want to share their stories with you. Listeners like you make this podcast possible. If you've been inspired or encouraged by these stories, please consider supporting us on Patreon or contacting us about sponsorship opportunities. You can find more information about us at kavahpodcast.com. That's Q-A-V-A-H podcast.com. Today, I got to talk with Robert Miller, who is living proof that it's never too late to chase your dream. The only way things are going to change is if you take a step. Robert is a musician who has toured the world and has a Billboard number one album. But his music career started with a car accident. When my, when my neck broke, none of the shrapnel, so to speak, happened to touch my spinal cord. It was oh. just freak luck that that happened. The car accident is act two of Robert's strange and inspirational story. Act one is a 15-year career in law, and act three is the one he's living now, his dream career of being a professional musician. There were about 20,000 crazed fans in the audience, none of whom spoke English, of course. Wow. But it didn't make a difference because music is an international language. So good morning. Okay. Hey, Robert. We're, I'm here with Robert Miller, and you are um, a rock star now, huh? <laughs> well, um, it's been a, a long, strange road, but uh, that's where it has led, yes. That's awesome. So, Robert, what is your first memory? My first memory... Um, when I, I was born uh, in, and raised in New York City, and um, my parents bought a house in what was then the suburbs, which is Queens, New York, one yes. of the boroughs of New York City. Yes. Uh, they bought that house when I was about two years old. And my first memory is actually kind of walking in and out the girders in, in that house as it was being constructed. I was probably about two years old. Oh, wow. That's really neat. And that that became my family home until, you know, I went away to college. So it was a meaningful place. It wasn't just a temporary kind of place. Okay. So who all was in your family of origin? Did you have any siblings? Yes, I have. uh, Well, both my parents, of course. And uh, I have one brother, younger brother. So you're the oldest. I am the oldest. That's awesome. So do you have any favorite childhood memories? (laughs) Um, Yes, I have very good childhood memories. I I had a very nice childhood. Um, And uh, one of the things we used to do as a family, um, we used to go away in the summertime uh, to an area called the Catskill Mountains, which is north of New York City, about an hour and a half or so north. And it used to be a very vibrant area with um, bungalow colonies and and family-style hotels and the like. Yes. People used to come back year after year. Yes. And um, my earliest memory and my loving memory is, is going away to, to in the summer times and 
playing uh, softball and doing all the other things that I used to do when I was a kid. Oh, that's awesome. That's like Dirty Dancing. The yeah, exactly <laughs> right. It's exactly right. That's the same area that they were uh, dealing with in, in that movie. Yeah, that's awesome. Robert grew up in an era when the landscape of music was changing dramatically. He got to witness history from a front row seat. So where did you learn to play music? Um, I, I came from a musical family okay. in, the, in that my father was a self-taught musician. He played the trumpet. Mm-hmm. And when I was very young, about five years old, my parents said to me, okay, you, you're going to have to learn an instrument. Mm. Um, we're going to start you on piano. Yes. And I played piano for about six months or so, and I hated it. I mean, you know, you're five years old. Who wants yeah. to practice no. you know, the piano? And so they said, okay, you can drop piano, but you must go to another instrument. Mm -hmm. So I picked the trumpet because that was my father's instrument. And then I continued to play trumpet, you know, in junior high and high school um, throughout that period. But along the way, um, as as you all know uh, and your listeners know, there was this little group from Liverpool, England that came out (laughs) um, (laughs) and they changed music forever right. and suddenly it was not very cool to play the trumpet. Right. So I taught myself guitar and bass and that became my mm. musical path. Wow. So what was that like when they came out? Oh, it was it was world changing. I mean for for teenagers like myself, there were millions of us around the world that all of a sudden had our eyes open. Mm-hmm. the pop music and, you know, between the Beatles and the Stones and all the great groups that came out. And, you know, in New York City, for example, there were three top 40 AM radio stations. There wasn't anything called FM at the time. Okay. But on all three of these AM stations, you could hear, you know, our music being played constantly. So you mm-hmm. go back and forth between the stations. It was a, It was a wonderful era, in my opinion, musically. I think the songs were great. The groups were great, and that totally informed me as a teenager. I played rock and roll. I was in rock and roll bands. Mm-hmm. We, we played whatever was being played on the on the radio. In fact, uh, I have two grown daughters, and I, I said to both of them as they were growing up, I, I insisted that they watch the movie A Hard Day's Night <laughs> because I said that was the Beatles' first movie. Yeah. I said that movie captures that era better than anything else you could read or watch. Yeah. You just have to see what it was like. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Paul McCartney and I share a birthday, so. Oh, wow. There you go. That's my claim to fame, and that's about <laughs> it. So. The big break for me was when I was about 19 years old, I took a music course over the summer um, at one of the local colleges, and they happened to set the, the students up with a teacher. And mm-hmm. I just happened to get set up with a guy named Jimmy Garrison, who was John Coltrane's bass player. Oh, okay. And John Coltrane, of course, one of the most famous jazz musicians yeah. ever. So he introduced me to jazz. He introduced me to music at a level that I had not experienced before. And as I say, that, that changed everything about my path in music. Robert had a strong passion for music since day one, and the Beatles only fueled that fire. But he soon found out that passion wasn't the only thing he needed. So what? So you went to college. Did you study music in college? 
No, 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 no. I was a I was a television major in college. Oh, okay. Uh, broadcasting and film. Okay. And when I graduated college, I got a job at a public television station in Boston. Okay. But at that time, the only way you could guys could get into the station, even if you had a degree, was you had to go in through the mail room. The, the girls could only go in through the secretarial pool. Oh, wow. um, so I was in the mailroom and uh, I was trying to volunteer all throughout the station and, you know, do things in production. That's what I wanted to do. But it was a very difficult time and there just weren't job openings. So here I was stuck in the mailroom and that was my day job. And at night I was playing music. Okay. And, and between the two jobs, if I made $100 a week, it was a lot of money. Wow. So, um, it, that was not a career move on my oh. part. I needed to do something else. Yeah. So you had a degree, but you still had to start in the mailroom. Exactly right. Didn't make any difference that I had the degree. Nobody cared. What they cared was, you know, you were a warm body and you wanted to work. <laughs> wow. So they said, okay, start off in the mailroom, and, and if you're lucky, you'll get out of there. Oh, my goodness. So did you continue in that job? Well, I did it for about a year, and okay. it was very frustrating because I just, there weren't openings for me to go into other parts of the station. It was an, an, an era when, you know, business was not doing terribly well. Mm. And as I said, I was playing music at night, and in a moment of severe weakness and depression, a friend of mine who was in law school said to me, well, why don't you go to law school? Oh. And I said, uh, why would I want to do that? And, and he said, well, you could do law during the day and you could play your, your music at night. And uh, just to show you how stupid I was, I thought about it for maybe two nanoseconds. <laughs> and, I, and I said, oh, that sounds good. Oh. And so I went off on a, on a whole different career. I wound up going to law school. I wound up becoming a lawyer. And it was good from the point of view that, okay, now I had an income. Right. But from my music career it was the most it was the worst move that i ever could have made because literally kelly i didn't play music for 15 years <gasps> oh my goodness and that was your heartbeat that was my heartbeat but you know they there's this old phrase the law is a jealous mistress and it's true because you know if you're a lawyer you just you're billing hours like yes. crazy and I kept having this thought that, okay, I'm, I'm going to go back to what I originally intended, but it mm. just didn't work out. And one year turned into two, into five. I was yeah. I stopped playing music for 15 years, and I was miserable yeah. as a result. Any creative person can tell you that in order to make money, you sometimes find yourself doing the opposite of what you really desire. So you practice law, and was that in New York where you practiced? Yes. Uh -huh. um, and what kind of law did you do? Oh, I used to work on uh, corporate bankruptcies. Oh, okay. Um, and it, 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 during the time that I was practicing law, well, it was about 15 years that I practiced law, that came into vogue as one of the things that corporations used um, as a means of, you know, fixing themselves when they had financial troubles. Mm. So it, it was a, you know, for the time that I was doing it, it was a good field, but it was a very contentious field. It still is. Mm. Um, you know, bankruptcy is all about not having enough money to go around to pay everybody. Right. So everybody fights like crazy. And 
uh, I, I was a lover, not a fighter. Right, so right. It, was, it wasn't it wasn't the right field for me right. long term, and I yeah. knew that. Yeah. So did you stay in Boston? Well, I was in Boston um, for a while. No, I came back to New York okay. Um, okay. to go to law school, and that's where okay. I wound up practicing law. Okay, okay. It's only been the last five years that I was finally able to live out my dream and do it full time. Wow. Um, you know, I think everybody has a dream and most people have their dreams get deferred or delayed or they get abandoned because, you know, life gets in the way. Right. And that's certainly what happened to me. But I made I made a decision at two points in my life that I was going to try and change things. The first was uh, about 20 years ago, in fact, almost to the day. I had a an accident, a very serious accident. I was out riding my bicycle, and I got hit by a car. Mm. And I got flipped over the car, and I was lying on the ground. And the first thing I remember, these EMS people hovering over me, and they were talking about me, and they were saying, gee, we usually find people like him dead or paralyzed. Oh, wow. And I'm listening to this and thinking, I, I, this must be a, a, a fantasy. It must be a dream of some kind. But it wasn't. Well, it turns out that I had I broke my neck. Oh my goodness! And, yeah, it was it was an, a, an incredible situation. Uh, frankly, I the only reason that I didn't end up like uh, God forbid, like Christopher Reeve, right. paralyzed, is because when my when my neck broke, none of the shrapnel, so to speak, happened to touch my spinal cord. It was oh. just freak luck that that happened. Wow. And I took that as a sign. You know, there's nothing that makes you stop and smell the roses yeah. and reflect on your life more than a near-death experience. And again, this was 20 years ago, but I said to myself at that time, uh, I have more to do in my life. Mm. And one of the major things that I wanted to do was music. So that kind of elevated the concept of, of a real career in music to a much higher level for me. Wow. And, and then um, what happened later on, um, I started to play music uh, more seriously, but it was always an avocation. It was more like a hobby mm -hmm. because I was working, you know, my day job and I had a family and obligations, just like most people do. That's what makes it so hard to follow dreams when you, right. when, you know, when reality intrudes. But uh, there came a point in time when, I, I became 60 years old hmm. and I said to myself, you know, how much more time do I have left? And do I really want to not uh, pursue this dream that I've had all my life? Right. And that was the other kick in the rear, if you will, that, that pushed me onto the trajectory that I went on to. Robert made that choice that many of us are too afraid to make. He chose to pursue his dream no matter what happened. Now, he not only had passion, but he had willpower to back it up. After 15 years, did you start playing music again? Yeah, it's a funny story because I, by, by hook or by crook, I found out about what I call this musician's dating service in New York City. Hmm. And what I mean is there was this place where you, if you went down there and you said to them, I want to play uh, Led Zeppelin's second album, Second Side. They would find, you oh. know, two or three other crazies that wanted that would play that record. So I started to 
play live again by just hooking up with musicians that they would set me up with. And of course, then I started practicing. Mm -hmm. And the more that I played, the more that I started to get back into it again, because you get very rusty, of course. Right. And that's kind of what set me off on, on the trajectory that that ultimately led me to where I am today. Right. So 20 years ago, when you had your accident, um, you were playing music on the side. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. Um, And that was in New York City. Mm -hmm. Okay. It wasn't exactly glamorous at first. Robert lived a double life. Lawyer by day, rock musician by night. And so what kind of places did you play in? Uh, every dive, every okay. club that you could possibly imagine. Some were good, you know, right. uh, places like the Blue Note and Birdland. Okay. But, you know, the, the, the life of a musician is you play where you can. Yes, yes. And it's 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 not the most glamorous life, not at that level. Right. But you got to pay your dues. Absolutely, absolutely. So did you have a band or anything? Yes. Okay. Uh, in 2007... Um, well, I had a band that I called the Robert Miller Group, and we played for about five years together. We played various festivals and concerts and clubs. But again, it was kind of a side gig because I was still working um, as a lawyer. Mm. In 2007, I, I upgraded. I, I formed a new band, which I called Project Grand Slam. Okay. And I got some terrific musicians to come in with me, and I started to write music at that point. Things began to pick up speed, and it turned out that Robert's career with television wasn't quite over either. We wound up recording a couple of albums in 2008 and then 2012, and in the middle of all of that, we got chosen kind of randomly to be on a hit television show at the time Oh wow! called Lipstick Jungle. Do you remember that show? It was uh, it starred Brooke Shields. Okay. And it was on NBC, and it was one of their big primetime shows. And the, the script in this one episode called for a band to be playing in a mock club setting. And we were that band. And, and so they used five of our songs, and they, they even gave me a speaking part on the show. Oh, wow. Which, which by the way, was the most terrifying thing that I've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> I literally had like two lines of of you know uh, of text to, to read, right. and I I must have screwed it up twenty eight times. Oh, okay. oh, but uh, they they put me in the final, so I actually am memorialized in that episode. But that was very cool. The problem with the band at the time, although the music I think was pretty good, it was kind of a contemporary jazz band that we were. The problem was that everybody in the band was living in all different places. One Mm -hmm. guy was living in Israel. Another guy was living in New Zealand. You know, you can't play live anywhere when when the band is spread out like that. Right. So uh, for the next several years, uh, things went fallow again. Mm -hmm. I I just wasn't playing live. And the big, big event for me was at the end of 2014, going into 2015, I said to myself that I I had to change this dramatically. So I restructured the band. I brought in um, a group of young, 
extremely talented, mainly foreign-born musicians mm. that had all come to the United States and had congregated in New York City mm. as a means of kind of making their mark in music. And um, I, I said I wanted to change the, the music. I, I was the, the, the composer of the music as well as the bass player and the leader. I was, I'm was i the chief cook and bottle washer. Right, right. Um, and more and more, I started to gravitate towards vocal music, in mm. part because my wife said to me, you know, people like vocals. Mm. And I said, yeah, I think you're right. And I had never written vocal music before. It was always instrumental music. So over the course of now nine albums in the last five years, I have gravitated to a pretty unique place in music where the band, Project Grand Slam, plays a rock-jazz fusion okay. with a twist of Latin, because wow. a number of the people in the band come from Latin American mm -hmm. countries, so I started to work that in as well. Ooh, that's awesome. Uh, I like that. I like that blend. Uh, Right. Um, we were playing festivals and concerts around the world. Oh, wow. Um, spectacular things. Uh, one of my favorites was with, uh, two years ago, we played this remarkable festival in Serbia, oh, in wow. Eastern Europe. You know, the setting was this medieval castle. They had this big stage. There were about 20,000 crazed fans in the audience, none of whom spoke English, of course. Wow. But it didn't make a difference because music is an international yes. language. And yes. they actually gave me a live um, recording of the band, which we turned into an album called Greetings from Serbia. Oh. So that was a wonderful experience. We also, you know, opened for great acts like um, Edgar Winter and mm -hmm. Blues Traveler and oh, wow. a guy named Boney James. So, and, and along the way, as I said, we've recorded nine albums, including a Billboard number one. Oh, wow. We've got, um, we've got over 4 million video views, over a million Spotify streams, over 50,000 Facebook fans. So it's been a remarkable run. Robert considers himself very fortunate to have found this much success. Now that he has this platform, he wants to use it for good in one of the hardest seasons this planet has ever gone through. So what is your life like today? Um, it's it's really been fantastic up until this pandemic. Yeah. We, we had various festivals and a European tour planned for last summer. Of course, everything got canceled. Right. So I was very fortunate in that the last album we recorded as a band called East Side Sessions. We literally finished it about a week or two before the pandemic hit. Mm. So at that point, when the pandemic did hit, we couldn't play live anymore. I said, okay, but what we could do is we got some great music on this album. Let's start putting out videos. Mm. And we did two remote videos, meaning people were stationed wherever they were around the world. And, you know, they, we were able to edit it all together and, a couple of both of those videos did really really well one of them um has got over three hundred and fifty thousand views uh on mm. youtube and then we went with two other songs i, I did a, a an animated video um and i did another video that was like a spaghetti western kind oh. of video <laughs> i try to be creative in what we do and i try to do a, a great variety in our music so we, we did the videos that was great and along the way I was writing because I, I just write music constantly. Mm. And, you know, we're in the midst of this pandemic. And I said, what am I going to do? 
and I said, well, let me, let me try recording these songs. And the problem, Kelly, is that I, I, I wasn't, I didn't have a home studio. Oh. So you might say, well, well, how could you record them? You couldn't go into the recording studio. You know, right. Everything was locked down. Right. And I literally started to record things on my iPhone. Wow. <laughs> and I would, I would take the, the um, recordings and I'd email them to my engineer and he would somehow, you know, yeah. increase the, the quality. Yes. And then I would start to email my various band members and say to the guitar player, okay, here's this, you know, send me your part. I'd send it to the sax player. He'd send in his part, that kind of thing. And I also decided that I was going to sing all the parts on this album. It's 10 tunes and nine of them are vocals. And, you know, I had, I had always done um, harmony parts, but I never stepped out and, and felt comfortable enough to do the lead. Mm -hmm. But these songs were so personal mm -hmm. because the pan, you know, the pandemic changes, I think, the way everybody perceives of life. Yes. Not only do we all have a lot more time on our hands because we're not traveling the way we used to travel, but I think most people um, think more about their mortality as right. a result of the pandemic. Because, right. you know, this terrible virus can hit anybody right. and, and, and throw you way off track. Yes. So the, the theme to the album, I, I call this new record Summer of Love 2020. Mm. Oh. <laughs> and, and people ask me, well, Summer of Love, this was a pandemic. I said, yes, but if there's one emotion that's going to get us through yeah. the pandemic, it's love. It's yeah. the most powerful emotion that we have. Yeah. And the songs on the record are either about the the issues caused by the pandemic. The first single I, I released is a song that I wrote called Aches and Pains. Mm. And yeah. it's not only about the aches and pains we all live with every day, but it's about the aches and pains of, you know, living through a pandemic. Yes. And yet the, most of the songs on the album are kind of I call them upbeat songs mm -hmm. about love and the, the, the record has gotten remarkably great pre-release reviews. I'm so proud of it. And awesome. we're going to be releasing it publicly on the 29th of January. That's awesome. So what are some of the things that you experienced did, during the pandemic? Did you have like family members come home or did you have trouble getting toilet paper or? <laughs> <laughs> All of the above. Okay. Okay. Um, you know, everything that everybody experienced um, from not knowing which end is up and right. not knowing whether, you know, we should continue to live in New York City or right. not. And then trying to find uh, all the basics right. in stores only to find that everything was, was sold out. Right. And then figuring, you know, can I eat in a restaurant? Should I take out? You know, all the things that everybody right. has been experiencing. Right. Did you have any family members get sick with it? Uh, thankfully, no. Okay. No, I do know people that have gotten it, but none of my immediate family has gotten it. That's awesome. That's awesome. And it hit New York City very, very hard. Oh, it was terrible. I, uh, for, for the most of the springtime, I, I was taking my, my um, five-year-old granddaughter to school every day. Oh wow! And we would we would go together. We'd either walk there or we'd take a bus, and it was the, the highlight of my day. You know, I just mm -hmm. I, I adore this 
this little one. Oh. And all of a sudden, um, in March, the world, as you know, turned upside down. Right. And nobody was taking buses anymore. Schools right. were closing like crazy. So I, I, you know, all of a sudden it just stopped. I, I couldn't take her to school anymore. And, mm. you know, that, that broke my heart. Yes. So did she do school online? Well, that's what they're doing now. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, she's just started kindergarten and yeah. um, she's uh, doing, you know, some kind of variation on half hybrid, half right. school, that kind of thing. Right. Oh. I think it's very rough for young children because they really don't understand what's happening. No. Um, and they've got to adjust and they're not seeing friends the way they used to see right. them. It's right. It's got to be very difficult. Yes, I agree. And I think what's weird is being in a big city and nobody being around. And we went to um, LAX. My daughter goes to school in California. We had to fly. And we were at LAX. And there was nobody there. Like, nobody. And it Mm. was just the weirdest feeling to experience a large city and a large airport with no other people. It was like I'm a movie. Sure right. You know, in New York City, uh, in midtown Manhattan, there were all these office buildings and so many businesses, you know, that's where they're, they're located. Right. <clears throat> I read this article early on in the pandemic. Uh, there was a guy that had a hot dog stand mm-hmm. right in midtown Manhattan. And in the good times, he was selling something like 400 hot dogs a day. Wow. And that was down to 10. Oh, wow. Because nobody was going into the office anymore. The Midtown Manhattan was a ghost town, just like you said, LAX was a ghost town. Right. Wow. That's crazy. Well, hopefully things will be looking up soon uh, from the pandemic. And and so so, um, what has given you hope uh, to continue on in order to have success with all of this? Well, I'm doing what I always wanted to do. Mm. You know, I I say to people that there's nothing that will bring you more joy and more happiness than kind of living out whatever dream it is that you've had. Mm -hmm. Some people are lucky and they've been pursuing their dream all along. Other people, as I said before, um, just couldn't find the time or the energy or or the right situation in order to pursue that dream. And everybody does have a dream. And most people start out in life, particularly as a teenager, with big dreams. You know, they want to be an astronaut. They want to be a nuclear scientist. They want to be in the arts or something like that. And, of course, there's nothing wrong with having big dreams. But like I said earlier, the realities of life tend to kind of knock down those dreams. But for me, when I finally made the decision in my early 60s that this is what I was going to do, and I kind of gave everything else up and went into it full time. The the joy and the happiness quotient went skyrocketing. Mm, that's awesome. And so um, it was all worth it. <laughs> <laughs> um, from my point of view, absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome. Robert's success was far more than just dumb luck. Achieving his dream required a lot of hard work and strategy. He has some great advice for anyone who is trying to chase a dream of their own. So what would you want people to take away from your story? Look, I think I am living proof of the fact that 
you're never too old and it's never too late to pursue your dream. Mm. And um, the dream doesn't have to be a, a music dream or an art dream. It can be, you know, I, wa- I always wanted to open up a certain kind of business. I always wanted to take a certain course. I always mm-hmm. wanted to educate myself or read, a, you know, a certain type of uh, book. There's all different types of dreams. And I came up with an acronym that I call DREAM, D-R-E-A-M, to try and kind of put people on the right path. Uh, the D stands for dream. Everybody's got to have a dream. And, and, and if you really get in touch with your feelings, I, I think people know intuitively what that dream either is or was. Uh, the R stands for realistic. Of course, the dream has to be realistic. Um, you know, if I had dreamed when I was in my mid-60s, I was going to be a baseball pitcher in the in the uh, uh, National League or something, I think I'd be a little bit too old for that. <laughs> um, e, to me, is the most important thing. It's execute. How? What is my action plan Ooh, yeah. to execute that dream? It, you know, every everything in life requires a plan. You need to have little baby steps, A, B, C, D through Z. How am I going to achieve what I want? You mean, and A is for adjust. There's no plan that goes Mm. smoothly, that doesn't have bumps in the road. Certainly with me, it was one step forward and two steps back and three steps sideways. I mean, that's just the way life goes. And M is for measure. How do I measure Mm. my success? That's because awesome. everybody's dream is different. Everybody's outcome is different. You know, for me, I, it was kind of easy for me to say, all right, I know what will make a success for me. It's it's writing music, it's recording it, it's getting it accepted, it's playing concerts, etc. But, you know, again, for anybody else with a different dream, just figure out, you know, what, what does it mean for you to succeed at that dream? And uh, you also have to be realistic in the sense that you probably need to give it a a period of time you Mm -hmm. know whether it's a year two years whatever that right time is for you and and if everything is moving in the right direction great you keep going if it's not um at least you took the shot yeah absolutely that's real living isn't it i think so yeah you know thoreau had a quote many many years ago the great mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. Mm. And um, I think he summarized it very well. Um, There's a lot of people that are unhappy with their lives, unhappy with the direction that their lives took or their situation. Well, the only way things are going to change is if you take a step. Right. I love that. And I love your dream. That is so good. That is such a good thing for people to take and use. I'm going to use that. That's awesome. (laughs) Thanks again for listening to Kaval the Podcast. It's our joy to share these stories of hope in a confusing world. To keep up with our guests and adventures in podcasting, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We would also love it if you gave us a review on whatever podcasting platform you use. It helps us continue to share hope around the world. We are so grateful for our listeners who financially support Kavatha the Podcast. If you would like to become a supporter, please consider donating via Patreon or contacting us about sponsorship opportunities. You can find more information at kavapodcast.com. 
That's Q-A-V-A-H podcast.com. I would like to thank my head writer, Rebecca Gray, and audio engineer, Meredith Douglas. I could not do this without you. You make this happen, and I can't express my gratitude. Maybe you've been listening because you found yourself in a desperate place. We want you to know that all is not lost. It is our desire that you would be able to borrow hope from those who've gone before you, those who've waited to find a positive outcome. Please be sure and connect with us via our website or social media. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other.